But that connected home platform, there might even be a new one next month that sweeps the world and you don't even know it's coming yet, but you better be able to connect to it. Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development as businesses aim for long-term success. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sofion CTO. If you're looking for additional information around new product development or corporate innovation, sign up for Sofian's newsletter where we share news and industry best practices monthly. The fastest way to do this is to go to sofian.com, that's S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, and click the sign up and stay informed box. Hello everyone, this is Paul. Thanks for joining again. I'm solo today, no guests. And I thought I'd talk about smart products. Smart products are all around us. How would our lives be without them? Boy, we use them everything. Smartphones, smart toasters, you name it. They really give us a lot of help to make our lives better in so many ways. But what are smart products? Well, to us as consumers, a smart product has intelligence, it's connected, it's automated, and it performs actions on our behalf. A textbook definition would be that it's a digital physical product or system that uses and integrates internet-based services and it performs some desired functionality. I think a smart product really consists of three core elements. A physical component, that's a traditional product as we would know it, something we could hold in our hands or something we could look at and observe. Mechanical or electrical or electromechanical system could be as large as a refrigerator or as small as a earbud. A uh, smart component then adds all the other parts. The things that make it smart are the fact that it can communicate. It has intelligence and cleverness, and it can inform decision-making. It usually has some kind of embedded system, and it requires hardware and software to interact with the environment. It has sensors, actuators, really quite a complex product. And then the third big piece is it's connected. So it has all the elements for communication, including the technology, chipsets, sensors, everything that allows it to interact with ourselves, with our other smart devices, and in fact, with the manufacturer. So what's so hard about creating smart products? Well, let's take a very simple example of a smart product. Let's talk about the smart oven. It's no longer just that box that heats food and maybe runs a simple program selected from some kind of operating panel. You know, even that was sophisticated enough in the early days. We had chips in the ovens. We had software to control them. It was all firmware. It was all embedded. But at that time, it was fairly complex. It looks pretty simple now because we've moved beyond that. It might have sensors that measure cooking progress. It might have an infrared sensors that measure the inside of the food and photo sensors that measure and take pictures of the outside. It tracks moisture and tenderness. Maybe all of this smart oven isn't available today, but if it's not, it'll be available soon. And for sure, it has an app that allows you to turn the oven on or off remotely. Maybe when you leave work, you turn it on. It has an app that predicts when the food will be finished. So it's pretty sophisticated. And it's one thing when the heating element burns out, but it's something completely different when the app no longer reports the progress of the food I'm cooking. Think about the light in the oven. That part's easy. We've had oven lights for decades, but now we need a camera in the oven. And if you're the supplier of the oven, you're probably not going to make that camera. You're going to have someone else make it. 
but you're probably going to have specs that are a little bit different than a camera in our smartphone. You need a special camera, one that can handle high temperatures and not just cooking temperatures, but oven cleaning temperatures, which are really, really hot temperatures. So suddenly you're not just making an oven, but you're putting all sorts of intelligence in it. And you're adding those sensors, you're writing that app. Before you know it, you're in the software business. You thought you were an oven supplier, but you're actually a software developer as well. And probably you're writing perhaps more than one app. Maybe you have two smartphone apps, one for Android and one for iOS. Oh, and, and that app, that probably needs to connect to the home infrastructure, the connected home. Apple has something called HomeKit, but there's a connected home platform also from Google. There's probably one from Amazon. Maybe around the corner, there'll be one from Facebook. Who knows? But that connected home platform, there might even be a new one next month that sweeps the world and you don't even know it's coming yet, but you better be able to connect to it. And the more savvy technical consumers, they're hooking their smart devices together themselves. They use programs such as If This Then That, I-F-T-T-T. It allows uh, all sorts of neat things. For instance, you could turn a light on automatically when a, a smart camera detects motion in your driveway uh, using apps like IFTTT if, if the providers haven't done it themselves. So those smart techie consumers are going to want to hook up the oven to their platforms. And you certainly want to tell the owner about the health of the oven and be proactive about an upcoming problem if you can predict it. And you as the manufacturer of the oven, you want to track the quality and usage of the oven so you can design better ovens. And then how are you going to fix problems with the ovens, especially if it's in the software that's in the oven? Are you going to update it over the air? Uh, will you only have one version of your smartphone app? Will you continue to release new capabilities of that app as those more savvy technical consumers expect? And what about your support center? What happens when the consumer calls in and needs to be able to diagnose problems with the network. That support center has to understand more than just the oven, but everything that connects between that oven and where that consumer is having the problem. Well, there sure are a lot of things that can go wrong. What about 5G, 6G, the next G, the next Wi-Fi standard, and certainly security requirements of the data and transmission. We're reading an awful lot today of hacking that's going on in all sorts of smart devices. And the one that really gets me is how long does a smart oven need to last in the market? I don't know about you, but I keep, but I have kept my ovens for a long time. Uh, consumers expect 10 years out of an oven, even though they're willing to buy a smartphone every five years. So completely different buying pattern, perhaps from the consumer for your smart product, if you're the oven manufacturer versus a smart product, which is earbuds, which may come and go in, in just a few years. And that list goes on and on. So it's hard. And you're dealing with that power of the consumer always in your face. The consumers aren't thinking about how complex the oven is. They're thinking about what it does and how great it is, how easy it is to set up and use. And they're going to tell all their friends about it. So it's the total experience, your app, your oven, installation setup, your support desk. If you think about it, you're not really in the oven business. You're in the user experience business. And maybe you don't just sell ovens. Maybe you also sell rice cookers and the consumer wants the rice to finish five minutes before the meat is done perfectly cooked to medium rare or whatever their liking be. And they want all that to happen at 6 p.m., 10 minutes before their guests arrive. 
You also sell dishwashers and you want to reuse some of the features of your oven, such as the display panels, the radio transmitter, antennas, comm software. Maybe one app works with the dishwasher and the oven. I can't imagine why, but maybe the dishwasher has to talk to the oven. Who knows? Who knows what those consumers will think of? So like I said, it's hard, lots of moving pieces. You're creating physical products, electronic circuitry, phone apps. You're buying and embedding more components than ever before. You're contracting other companies to build parts of your product. You have multiple engineering organizations in your company, each one using perhaps a different development methodology. Some are going agile. Some can't go agile. Some don't know how to go agile. And there needs to be innovation in the assembly process as well, because assembly and manufacturability is critical. Testing, product testing is much more advanced and actually very dependent on which features are in a given product. And speaking about features, you're using features across products. So you have to manage the interrelated release of features and products, and you have to keep it all aligned and coordinated. I bought a new Chevy pickup back in 2019. I love the truck, but it has had multiple recalls for the braking system. And not one of those recalls is related to the physical brakes. They've all been software recalls. There's no over-the-air update, so I need to take the truck back to the dealer and wait sometimes a couple hours while they update the truck. During the last recall, I asked the service advisor about it. It turns out that the recall, that particular one, was to fix a problem that was caused by the previous recall. And if any of you have ever developed software, this should sound familiar to you. The automobile market is also facing at this time a global shortage of semiconductors. And we see them having to slow down car manufacturing. General Motors just announced that some of its cars will now be released with less features than they had planned, less capability than the previous model year had. It's because GM cannot get the computer chips they need. I think this is a first for the automotive industry, a new car actually having less capability than a previous model year. And then if you've been reading the news lately, you might have heard about the Silicon Valley security startup, Verkata. It was hacked. Their security cameras were used everywhere, and it exposed 150,000 security cameras that were in Tesla factories, jails. They've caught police talking to prisoners, all sorts of stuff that just shouldn't have got out in the public domain. So there was a third party that you as a smart product might be using. So it's not just your own vulnerabilities, but it's every vulnerability in your entire ecosystem. And we've seen lots of recalls of instrument panels not working in cars and backup display cameras not working. We were recently talking to a medical device company and they were coming out with a product and wasn't quite done yet. You have this concept in the software world called minimal viable product. And it basically means get the little smallest amount out you can, and you can update it later. Software is great at that. But that software might be in a medical device that's being used in a hospital. So you really can't do it. The software teams might think, oh yeah, no problem, we can do that. But if you think about the certification of that product before it can be allowed to be used to care for a patient, that's a substantial certification process. That process can take months. And so it's not so easy to just roll out new software features as it might be for a piece of software in a slightly different product that maybe has less regulation around it. So the whole regulatory aspect of smart products is very strong. 
So what can you do if you're a manufacturer of smart products to make it easier to develop them? Well, I would say the most important thing is the alignment of all the various engineering groups, both inside your company and the ecosystem that you're working with. Each one of those groups needs to understand the mission for each product, whether they're developing features for one product, features for multiple products, and you really need open, visible, clear communication of expectations. It's critical. Finger pointing is not going to help. Yes, you can diagnose what went wrong, but finger pointing and accusations are not the way forward. It's really about culture. When you look at those hot, smart products and you look at those companies, they have a culture to them that's a little bit different than the culture other companies might have that have been around a bit longer that are trying to figure it out. So avoid those finger pointing around changes and delays and misunderstandings because that all leads to a lack of willingness to work together, a lack of trust. You've got to break down all those barriers and build trust more than ever if you're in the software, hardware, physical combined business, or we'll call it the smart product business. Establish strong decision-making and product management. You have to make it clear what that decision-making is. The portfolio decisions related to the mesh of multiple products and multiple features, very important. Make sure to create a good governance model. Align your teams, your engineering teams, but don't dictate how they do their work. That's a recipe for a disaster. If one group, because of the nature of the way they work and they're organized and their skill set, needs to work agile, and the next group, also doing perhaps software, needs to work waterfall, let them do that. If the hardware physical group can't work agile but has a different methodology, your challenge is to bring those methodologies together. You're not actually going to manage those methodologies, but the business around those methodologies, the decision-making and the alignment around those methodologies. And everything can't be agile. Don't force agile on every engineering group. Do comprehensive product line planning because think about those market segments across the world, the different regions, needs, and features of the products, and try to predict what's coming. Gain cross-organizational agreement on your product investments, launch timelines, and revenue expectations. Make sure everybody knows and understands what the expectations are. Don't just guess as a product management organization what you think the revenue profiles will be. Get that from the sales organization. If we had these capabilities, what do you think you could sell? Those type of questions. Coordination of the hardware, software departments, product engineering, manufacturing, and third-party suppliers. And I can't say it enough, they'll all be using different methods and systems. So it's about coordination. Prioritize those candidate new products and the features within them. Also considering in-market products against your growth targets and your strategic goals and commitments such as sustainability. What you're managing is a collection of deadlines and decide how and when to act when that change inevitably happens. That's just a precursor to lots of things we can and in fact will talk about in future episodes about smart products. I guess you could say this might be an intro to smart products or a primer on smart products. And I look forward in future episodes to diving in deeper about many of these aspects. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. 
For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com.